Oh, hi there. I'm Tyler Sean Bean from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, and I also played Sock on TV's Reaper. You are watching the Dead TV Podcast. Keep it up. I dare ya. Welcome back to the Dead TV Podcast, the podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror genre, and we are at the end of our Reaper coverage for season one. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mistress Seneca. We will get into the whole reasons why the show was canceled at the end of the show, and maybe we'll have some other great stuff about it as well. Mistress Seneca will, of course, have her brimstone coverage uh, later, later, a little later on the episode, but we're also going to talk about some interesting articles about uh, Reaper that I found online, which are heavily buried in Google. Wikipedia, if they have a page for it, will list all of the prior news articles for shows. And since Reaper was, you know, in the age of the internet, all those shows are online too. So unlike stuff like Friday the 13th or War of the Worlds or even the Addams Family, news articles about those would be very hard pressed to find from newspapers or magazines from the 60s or 80s. So what type of articles did you find? from TV Guide and a couple other things, or, well, TV Rewind. I uh, will get into it after we cover the episode. All right. You got, uh, you've got the drive-in returning soon, don't you? I do. I, in fact, the Mahoning Drive-In is doing their opening weekend this weekend, uh, which is the 29th and 30th of April, 2022. And I will be doing live puppeteering. Now, this is a digital puppet of the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And so I have a crystal display set up and a projection screen projecting the head, and I will be puppeteering and kind of quipping with the guests and uh, doing these little Wizard of Oz puns. It should be fun. They drive it near me, recently reopened. They played whatever the villain cartoon is with the talking animals that's out right now. Um, you know, it's like the, about the bad guy characters. Um, what? Sonic? The Hedgehog? No, this is about bad guy characters. Oh, yes, I remember that one. I saw the advertisement for it. And the other screen, they're playing, no joke, they're playing the Disaster Artist back-to-back with uh, The Room. Okay. A little bit kitschy. Yeah, so I think that's kind of fun. Watch The Room and then watch James Franco's movie about how The Room was made. Yeah. That's a good idea, you know? Yes, a good double feature. Yeah, the last movie James Franco made, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into why. Go look it up. And then uh, some interesting news. Blada won a couple of rewards, uh, awards uh, for Ken Hunt's artwork in the book. So I don't get those rewards, awards, but I get to stick that sticker on my book and be like, award-winning graphic novel. Ooh. Hey, you know, that's excellent, you know? Having your artist win an award, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the end of season one, and Mr. Zeneca has a plot synopsis for us. Reaper, season one, episode 18, Cancun, originally aired May 20th, 2008. 
Sam, targeted by Tony and the rest of the rebellion demons because they feel he is a greater threat to them than the devil, when they suspect that Sam is in fact the unnatural offspring of Satan himself. They set a trap for him which brings a surprise ally to Sam's side and lead to shocking revelations that could have implications for Sam's future. Meanwhile, the devil sends Sam out to capture an escaped fortune teller, while Sam begins to grow suspicious that his parent knows more about his origins than they claim to. Also, Sock falls in love with a demon who uses her evil powers to make him joyful. A succubus. Yeah, what happened to um, Josie? Josie? She got frustrated with Sock and dumped his ass. Oh, that's right. Again. (laughs) Again, yes. Again. Well, also, Den's stupidity romance, his British bride, is finally over, and he's out of jail. Yeah, yeah, that's all done. There's no but mention unfortunately, of... he lost the nurse, too. Yeah, there's no mention of Cassidy or Sarah. That's too bad, because they, they would have had a better connection. But, uh, you know, sometimes they don't always have availability for the actors to stay on longer, or if they're just not needed. So how did Tony find out that Sam was the devil's son? The tests. Dropped a washing machine on him. And, like, scripture and, and prophecies. That, too, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what he indicates, that there are there are signs. The stain on the wall, for a minute there, I thought that's where the demon was. But no, apparently that is where Steve is trying to communicate to Sam, uh, to, to, to tell Tony some stuff. Yes. Although, to me, it doesn't really look like Steve, but, yeah, whatever. Sock thinks it's a unicorn fighting a werewolf. Life's greatest enemies, what, whatever he says. The unicorn fighting a werewolf I don't think is a movie that's ever been done before, so that would be fantastic. Andy is barely in this episode. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's barely there. Um, she's like there in the beginning, and then she's there when Dad dies, but that's about it. And honestly, the stole in this episode really could have been removed from this episode's plot line without any sort of result. There was no reason to have the fortune teller, the tarot card reader be anything for this episode at all. This is like on a lot of these supernatural shows that have some kind of procedural to it, um, most notably things like Grimm or Bones, especially on a show like Grimm, where it was like a Portland cop sees people for the monsters they really are and arrests them or kills them. Um, you know, all the while being a good cop and police officer and solving crimes in Portland, like he normally is because he's a detective. And they ha- would have like a three or four episode plot line going on, but for some reason, they would still have the police procedural plot line happening with a couple other characters. Like, why? You have this major, massive, overarching plot happening, but no, let's take a break to do police procedure crap storylines. Yeah, the vessel this time is a baseball. Um, it doesn't really make sense for a tarot card reader. I mean, but... a toaster didn't make sense. The <laughs> vacuum cleaner. I mean, a lot of these things are like the worst writing of the writers. If we ever get one of the writers on the show, I'm going to ask them, what the hell's with the soul, the, the vessel, you know, the vessels? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Also, when I think of the term vessel, I think of like... You know, on Supernatural, when a demon or angel possesses somebody, Castiel's human host is the vessel. I don't think of a Ah. vessel like my cell phone or a pen. 
I mean, I think of a vessel as more like a ghost trap from Ghostbusters. That's not though the 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 the, the definition of a vessel though, not to catch something. Well, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. It is like you're right. It's like a ghost trap. What they're doing is like a ghost trap from Ghostbusters. You're 100% correct. Or Sam and Dean, you know, using a devil trap or something like that. That's mm-hmm. fine. But what they're what they keep calling the vessel, the remote control, the toaster, the vacuum cleaner, the whatever it happens to be this week, that just word makes no sense in the context of what it is. It should just be the demon catcher or the reaper's weapon. I just I never got that to the whole show. I don't know. The vessel being a baseball is okay. I mean, it's great that he pitches it and crashes through the window to catch her. <laughs> the succubus Marlene really likes Sock. And Stock really likes her. But because she's a succubus, every kiss takes a year of life from his uh, existence. Uh, that's new made up and mythology for the show because everything I've ever read about succubuses, that's not what they do. <laughs> no, no. And, but there is evidence in the records, the research that I did, that succubuses do, in fact, deteriorate one's health. But it's over time and it's not a any sort of hard and fast rule like one year yeah no just weird marlene is played by cindy sampson and who is also on the shrine as carmen and in supernatural as uh lisa brayden another demon parents fighting and uh begins to suspect some stuff and of course we learned in the last episode that Sam is possibly the son of the devil, only to be confirmed in this episode, he is the son of the devil. Sort of. It seems like the devil's essence probably had to be put inside something in order to create Sam. I'm assuming the devil did not have sex with Sam's mom. Oh, but it would be fun to imagine that's the case. That would be um, Sock's dream come true. (laughs) Uh, Sam's milf mother, you know, getting it on with with the devil. That's actually pretty hot. They uh they built this cage. Interesting. This has been used in several supernatural shows before to to trap some demonic spirit, and you can't do it with just a circle with you know whatever salt or something like that. My question though, why was Sam's mom and dad talking in a circle of just a circle? Period. They well, never explain what the circle is supposed to do. I understand circles can have some type of supernatural element to it. But there's usually more in the circle than just a circle, unless that was a circle made of salt. But that didn't look like salt. It was chalk. Um, Apparently, in the mythology of Reaper, just having a circle is enough because they made a circle out of mustard. They made a circle out of chalk, you know, things that are circular. Oh, right. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, they squirted the mustard on the ground. Okay, I do remember that. So after Marlene kisses Sock, he really gets amped up. Like, it is the best drug he's ever been on, as he explains it. And then there's the inevitable crash where he is so depressed and wants to see her again. Right. And he kind of whores her out a bit to Ben to kiss him. Like, not okay. Not okay. Yeah. Tries to get a kind of a three-way-ish type of thing going on, and she's totally not into it. She likes Sock. She doesn't like Ben, especially when she's just being introduced to him. Just because she's a, a demon, she's got standards. Yeah, I'm sure she does. <laughs> <laughs> the soul for this episode, 
the tarot card reader, Madame Ozara, is played by Sarah Lind. And Sarah Lind has been on Edgemont, Martha's Vineyard Mysteries most recently, Fargo, True Justice as Sarah Montgomery, and on The Mentors as Dee Sampson. What I don't understand is um, Sam's dad gets knocked in the back of the head and dumped into the pit with them when the demons capture Sam. And, you know, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit and stuff and seeing uh, his lover that he rescues Sam, but leaves his dad down there? That seems a little strange. It does seem strange, but maybe he thought that the dad was already far gone. He was dead and there's nothing he could do. All he got hit did all, all that happened to him was being hit over the back of the head. Yeah, but that could kill you. Okay, but not really in the context of the show. People have been hit in the back of the head. How many times has has Ben been hit or whatever, knocked unconscious, or any of the characters? Yeah, true, but that that, I doesn't, mean... that, that doesn't make any any whatsoever sense whatsoever. And then Mom's attitude about the whole thing is pretty pissy. And then she goes and digs up Dad, who's still alive and going to be a zombie. Yeah, um, he's now zombified. Yeah, no, he's going to be a zombie in the next season. That doesn't, I don't know, that just seems all a little bit like keeping Dad dead would have been better, and then the whole, like, mystery of, like, you know, eventually explaining the whole thing about the the devil. Of course, the, I love the devil's response to it, and goes, I can't lie to you, Sammy, but I can obviously say I'm going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> but he tells him to take some time off over this whole thing, too. Like, don't worry about catching any souls yeah it's kind of surprising that he gave him a month off just to mourn by the way did you know there's a devil there's okay so there's a public figure reaper page called the devil reaper tv series and it's got uh ray as the uh the the circle uh but it hasn't been updated since 2013 (laughs) so much for a reaper group huh That's it. I mean, again, the whole plot line was pretty lackluster. So, uh, yeah, that's the end of the, uh, the, so, the the season. It literally ends with Dad being dug up. I've got a couple more things. So when Tony is arguing with Sam at the cage site, Sam keeps saying that he saw Steve. He saw Steve, and he says that, you know, Steve wants me to tell you about Cancun. Of course, he doesn't actually say that when they're arguing. He says it as a last-ditch effort when he's in, stuffed in the cage. But Tony says to him, God's capacity for forgiveness, a capacity so vast is beyond mortal comprehension, does not and will never extend to demons. And it's proven not true anymore because Steve is now an angel. And that point becomes like the crux of why Tony doesn't actually kill Sam and why he kind of saves him from the cage. So... That point right there where where demons can become angels again, that there is a course for forgiveness for them. And I think that is going to be kind of an important point of what this episode brings. Hmm. Interesting. I was a cop. And my wife was raped. I caught the guy who did it. And I killed him. Two months later, I died. To hell. 113 of the most vile creatures escaped. 
they think they'll beat the devil. Nobody beats me. So how am I supposed to send them back? The eyes. Windows to the soul. Destroy the eyes and the damned get a one-way ticket back home to hell. But it's not hell you should be scared of. It's losing your second chance of life on earth. Time to give the devil his due. It's Brimstone. Season 1, Episode 7, Slayer. Originally aired December 11th, 1998. Hi, I'm Ezekiel Stone. Let me tell you about the case that changed everything. So, there I was, dinner at the diner, when a black man who called himself Hasdrubal Sacharis started commenting on my food. It was really obvious to me that he was an escaped soul. In that moment, I decided to play into it. His presence was alarming, sure, but I chose to play it aloof. That's a little something I picked up from dealing with criminals all the time. Don't let them know you're rattled. If they think they got the upper hand on you, you've already lost. So, he brought out a weapon I'd never seen before. A curved blade, like a crescent moon. And on the other side, two small points perfect for extinguishing the eyes. The sheer intimidation of this warrior was intense. I know that there was a reason he didn't immediately kill me. And he said it. Hasdrubal wanted a truce to join forces and turn my back on my job. When I declined, and I lunged at him, but his weapon grazed my eye. He got the damage in. If he was slightly deeper with the blade, I wouldn't have been able to regenerate the eye. What I experienced is something so hard to describe. It was painful and confusing. My soul was preparing to leave my body. It was like I was liquefying, and as a liquid, glowing that soul stuff, I saw something. I saw the past, the future, the in-betweens, I saw the truth. My soul was never my own. My soul had always belonged to the devil, and he was, and still is, my father. Images of angels and demons of hell and earth came to my brain like a fire hose. A swirling vortex of time and space ripped open my mind's eye and showed me my true purpose, and I lost consciousness. When I came to, the devil was at my side. Although he would never admit it, I think he protected me from Hesterbal. Seeing him there, my head still reeling, I again played it off like nothing happened, like I didn't just see my life flashing in front of my face. The devil threatened to get a new bounty hunter, but I knew the truth. I am the bounty hunter. My divine purpose, my torture, also my salvation is to bounty hunt. Of course, revelations like this you don't or can't stay at the front of your mind. I saw it, and boom, it was gone. A vague, intangible knowing, but unraveled. And like a dream, it was gone. I did get it back over the time, but that day, it was like a DMT trip. Seeing divine light and hellfire, then returning to your body and reality, snapping back like an alarm clock adrenaline. As I settled into the case, I put that dream behind me. In front of me was a dangerous soul, so I went to an expert to get more information on this warrior. He's an ancient Carthaginian warrior, says he. Full story, Hasdrubal Scaris lived in approximately 200 BC, so he's had over a thousand years to have hell seep into his pores. 
He was a member of Rome's arch enemy, Carthage, Celtic druids that could blend into the landscape from North Africa and Europe. They were absolutely ruthless. Every time they conquered, they slaughtered, they raped, they pillaged anything they wanted to because they were the conquerors. So, I was on edge. I mean, who wouldn't be? Father Horn showed up at precisely the wrong time. He told me about his new parish near the airport. I made a mental note of it, but shooed him away for his own safety. The situation was getting more dire by the day. Policemen's wives were getting murdered. Those were women just like my wife, whose husbands had died in the line of duty. On their walls were written in blood, Vi Victus, Woe to the Conquered. These four wives had formed a support group called the Blue Survivors. As I did my typical tracking down of everyone, I knew I was racing against time. Hasdrubal was fast, and he was terrifying. The first victim I found out about on the news, the second I found lying on her floor, with Hasdrubal still there and still requesting my truce. Unfortunately, the cops caught on at the same time. With Hasdrubal's power of camouflage, the cops couldn't see him and shot me instead, thinking I was the killer. Great, more holes in my jacket. I got to the third member, Gina Breaker, in time and took her to Father Horn. Maddie, the fourth wife of the group, was put into police custody. She was the only particularly safe one. So I went to retrieve her from them. And when I did, she was shaken like a leaf. She thought I was the bad guy. I mean, it did look pretty damning. I don't think she was convinced I was trying to save her until we got back to the church and she saw that Gina was safe. I knew it was only a matter of time before Hasdrubal found us. In what seemed like a flash of a moment, Father Horn's face was slashed and Maddie was taken. I had lit up the entire church with candles. While he could blend in with supernatural talent, he still had a shadow. Thank God he did, because it was truly a lucky shot that I got his eyes with his own blade. I guess my supernatural talent is good aim. However, his blade did do a number on my chest. I was healing that wound for a little longer than I can't have mentioned. Only the damned can hurt the damned. At the case debriefing, Detective Ash was more permissive than she should have been. She found out that I wasn't an active cop, so she should have arrested me for impersonating an officer, but she didn't. Even gave me my badge back. I should have known something was up, but I thought she was attracted to me, so I overlooked it. My mistake. Looking back, Hasdrubal did me a favor. He showed me my true form, my true purpose, and displayed it in a tangible way the divine struggle that I was playing a part in. His cruelty towards the conquered peoples mirrored God's, and that was what I needed to see. The before. Looking back, I recall something Tony once said to me. That God had unending forgiveness, but not for demons. They say that the apocalypse is the end of the world, but what if it's just the end of the way things were done? Hasdrubal believed that the people you conquered were there for your pleasure to torture, rape, or taunt at will, which was God's belief thousands of years ago. It took two lifetimes to see that God may one day forgive the devil. After the case was over, I even got some words of thanks and a slap on the back from the devil, dressed as a motorcycle cop. You're welcome, Dad. In the role of Hasdrubal Scaris is Richard Brooks. 
He began his career as a walk-on actor for Hill Street Blues in 1983. He's been working regularly since. He's been on the movie Shocker as Rhino, The Crow City of Angels as Judah Earl, and Good vs. Evil as Henry McNeil. But you may know him for, as defense attorney Paul Robinette in Law & Order. In recent years, he's been behind the camera as director and producer. His pet project, a short film called Anticipation, won eight awards in the indie film circuit. The surviving police wives were played by Lisa Ackie and Danielle Nicolette as Gina Bayer and Madeleine Fuller, respectively. Lisa Kay had a burst in TV roles in the late 90s, but then went inactive. She appeared on single episodes of Boy Meets World, Murder, She Wrote, Frasier, The Big Easy, Time Cop, Sliders, and Party of Five. Danielle Nicolette has had a much longer career, starting from a three-episode appearance on Family Matters in 1991, continuing to her regular appearances as Cecile Horton on The Flash and Supergirl. 94 episodes there in The Flash. You can also see her as Nurse Mary Singletary on Heartland, Karen on Third Rock from the Sun, and Daisy Free on Rocker. But you can hear her voice acting on The Jammies as Layla, The Lego Marvel Games as Ms. Marvel, and as Shondi for the Saints Row games. This episode was interesting, but only because of my headcanon. Just watching this episode alone, I'd give this one a 4 out of 10, because there's no clear reason why he's attacking the former wives of the cops. They died on duty, but he's a conqueror, and his motivation doesn't work in this context. Cops aren't military. They aren't an opposing enemy. Their wives aren't the conquered. The acting was great. Richard Brooks was really intimidating. I would have skipped this episode had I been watching this show live. However, as an element in my headcanon, I'd give this one an 8 out of 10. I could confer meaning to this episode in a way I just couldn't with the last two. My headcanon makes these shows more interesting for me. I hope it does for you too. Is Sam slash Ezekiel really meant to bring about the apocalypse? And is that catastrophic business really about damnation or is it about salvation? Is God allowing souls to escape so they can have a second chance to do the right thing? I'd like to think that the German soul in the episode Repentance won his way to heaven, like Steve won his way back with doing good deeds. As the son of the devil, Sam slash Ezekiel, touches the devil's heart on both shows, and it may be that this is the way to bring back the devil into the loving arms of God, and therefore create the apocalypse, a change in the order and the processes of life and death. I don't know, but it's nice to think about. Good night. So one of the articles I'm not going to read about because it actually goes into the giant explanation about what the hell happened to Reaper, and it wasn't canceled because of bad ratings. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it was canceled due to just the uh, a lot of uh, changing hands in the network and stuff like that, but it's a really decent article from what I'm reading about, so maybe I will bookmark this and save it for later on. All right. So that will be really good because this is a really interesting article about the, the, the show's history. But I had another great article that I did want to read about. Did you know Reaper was supposed to be a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode? No. Yeah. I think that would fit perfectly in Buffy, Buffy's weird universe. You know, the offbeat humor of it all. Oh, for sure. I think this could have been like a multi-part episode arc of Buffy. And hey, how about if this had been a spinoff of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Oh, now that would have been something. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wonder if it would have been canceled alongside Angel if it had spun off of Buffy. Because Angel, you know why Angel was canceled? No, why? And we will never cover Angel, people. And the reason why is because Angel's five seasons long. But 
There are dozens of Buffy and Angel podcasts out there. We don't need to cover it. Angel was canceled because they were going to do Dark Shadows the series again. Okay. And they didn't want two vampire shows on them at the same time. Ah, all right. But we've had the Vampire Diaries, Legacies, the Originals, pretty much all running at the exact same time, or one after the other, enough, you know, close enough. And the Originals was straight up vampires. Vampire Diaries was vampires, eventually witches and werewolves and a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But now, what, what do we have? What, like half a dozen superhero shows on the CW? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, and like maybe a high school football show about a female high school football player, maybe a master of Kung Fu show about a female Kung Fu star, maybe a Riverdale show that is like hot and sexy with 20 something year olds. Yeah. Tara Butters and Michelle Vazekas met while working as part of the sales merchandising team for the X-Files. So this goes all the way back to the early nineties. They both wanted to become writers. It didn't take long for them to start coming up with ideas for their own supernatural themed show. During that period, they researched the Antichrist with the intention of pitching a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. They didn't come to fruition, but their devilish idea evolved over time, and after cutting their teeth working on their shows, Reaper premiered in 2007. Interesting. Similar to X-Files and Buffy, which it is, Reaper is a supernatural comedy of the Monster of the Week set up couples over, uh, coupled with overarching storylines. That said, instead of focusing on special agents or empowered teenagers, Reaper revolves around lovable Millennial slackers. It follows <laughs> the story that we've been covering. Skipping ahead. Wrecking for the Devil isn't all that bad. It does have its downsides. The Leon character, the assassin of William McKinley, returns to the land of the living, possessing the ability to turn his hands into guns, which also reminds me of the movie with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Did you ever see that? Guns of Navajo? Oh, yeah. Guns of Kimbo. Yeah. Guns of Kimbo. Okay. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Very body horror-like. <laughs> Very much so, but great. Favorite demon Steve and Tony, played by comedians uh, Michael Ian Black and Ken Marino. A couple rebelled against Devil, befriends Sam in the game. In 2009, the CW opted not to renew the show for its third season, despite solid international ratings and positive reviews. Mm. But there have been Reaper petitions for a long time. At this point, I don't think that's ever going to happen. The show did not have the kind of fan base like Firefly had to be able to return for a big budget in theaters movie, you know? Yeah. Speaking of stuff that's gotten canceled, we never covered it, but we sure did talk about it about a lot. The Monsters is coming out later this year by Rob Zombie. Have you seen the photos for it? I have not. Yeah, looks pretty good. Rob Zombie is assuring everyone it's going to be rated PG, which is going to be his first ever PG movie. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of The Monsters. I'm more of an Adams Family fan, as everyone can hear from our posts on that. Monsters to me have always been too slapstick and for Rob Zombie to do something kind of slapstick seems a little bit odd to me. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. I don't own every Rob Zombie album for nothing or White Zombie. Okay. So the Chicago Sun-Times, this is all for season one, the Kansas City Review, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, the Los Angeles Times, Newsday, all gave Reaper, by the way, 70, 75, 80, or 90, or 100. Chicago Times gave it a 100-star review. Wow. Yeah. The lowest rating was a 30 for Pop Matters. That, that was season two. 
Looks like season seven's lowest rating was the Kansas City Star at 70. There's 35 ratings on uh, Metacritic, which is a good place to go to, by the way, to look up old articles about uh, entertainment things. Like the Dilly Departed recently Entertainment Weekly, which I posted about in all of the groups that were involved in on the Dead TV podcast page. I don't know if anyone's aware of this, but Entertainment Weekly gave uh, Reaper a 50 out of 100 back for season two. But uh, yeah, I was pretty sad to hear about Entertainment Weekly uh, putting it into their publication of their magazine. I've been a subscriber since I was 17 years old when Sarah Michelle Gellar was on the cover of it. Let me tell you something. Whew. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Entertainment Weekly has been around an incredibly long time, and their final issue has Obi-Wan Kenobi on it uh, for the upcoming Obi-Wan show on Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. And I'm pretty sad that that magazine ended, honestly. I really enjoyed the magazine as well. It is a sad day. Yeah, they were featured in Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment Weekly gave season one a 91. Ooh, excellent. Yeah. New York Post has a really great rating for it. Of course, it's ridiculous. Far-fetched scenarios, but it works because the producers never uh, producers of Reap never took their subject matter too seriously. I like that review. If I sound too enthusiastic about a series that ends up in the pilot being a little bit too obsessed with special effects, I apologize. The devil made me do it, or at least Ray Wise did. He's so schwarmy, I love it. The Daily News. So, yeah, there's a lot of great articles about Reaper on Metacritic's uh, website. And they compile all of the numbers from these articles, uh, the ratings that they were given, and they compile them into one overall rating. Washington Post gave it an 80. So the show on Metacritic has about a 75, which is pretty good. Nice. Uh, Let's pull up one from the San Francisco Chronicle. Tim Goodman reviews Reaper, saying it's devilishly fun. It's not every day the funniest new comedy of the fall season is an hour long, littered with thriller, paranormal elements, instead of 22 mostly predictable minutes pounding a laugh track beat. Then again, it's not every day that the best new series of the fall is on the CW. <laughs> <laughs> Reaper, which busts out tonight at 9, uh, 9 p.m. Oh, it was on at 9 p.m. Interesting. Is the perfect antidote to the increasingly trumped up machinations of House and the military at play operations of the unit. But change is good, and Reaper is better. Now that the only hope is that the future episodes are creative and as funny as the pilot, the writing and the acting are hit out of the ballpark on this one, and it's not, and that's not a vibe you pick up out of nowhere. There are probably a whole lot of good Reaper episodes to come, and they will play nicely between the two dour hits that share the time slot. Let the misanthropic Dr. House pop pills and the men of the unit mow down terrorists. Reaper is a hell of a lot more fun. It is. As Sox says, after Sam vanquishes an arsonist who could literally light himself on fire, you are Neo, you are the one. Eat it, Heatmeister. <laughs> I do remember that. That is, <laughs> yeah. that is very, very funny. That's a good, that is a great review of Reaper and exactly how we feel about the show every time we review it. Yeah. Featured in this episode, when Sock gets all amped up from the succubus and starts carrying those big logs, right there is played the song Dirty top by the sleepers also featured in this episode is what you do performed by imperial teen here's a clip broken glass and razor blades just in hand plans were made do what you do This episode will be up by the end of the week. Next week, there'll be a special episode of the Dead TV podcast in between the two seasons. This is a kind of a one-time thing, but maybe, if not, if we find something else interesting to do, 
we are going to cover in time for the brand new Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange 1970s movie, which was which is a pilot for a canceled television show. They only got this one thing done, and it was supposed to spin off. And when you watch the movie, which, by the way, Screen Factory now has a Blu-ray of it with a commentary, you can see how this could have become a TV show in the 70s. This could have been a weekly show, which would have been awesome. Why it was canceled? I don't have that Blu-ray yet. Maybe I can get a hold of that Blu-ray and find out in time for us to cover it. Uh, but the information is pretty easy online to, to talk about regarding why uh, the original movie was unfortunately canceled. It all it starred Jessica Walter and uh, Eddie Benton and Peter Hooten as Doctor Who, Doctor Who, <laughs> Doctor Strange. Nice. I look this, forward to that. Yeah, this movie, people, is going to be taken with a grain of salt. Don't think it's exactly like the comic, and definitely don't think it's like the special effects heavy Disney money that the uh, other film is. Oh, no. I mean, we're talking about something from the 70s, so. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about something that goes along line that would have fit perfectly in with the Spider-Man show and the Incredible Hulk TV show, because those were both running about this time as well. We're going to do a special episode of the Dead TV podcast dedicated to the canceled, non-existent TV show other than the made-for-TV movie Doctor Strange. Yes. Which is a lot of fun. If you've never seen it, and I don't think Mr. Zeneca has seen it, it's a lot of fun. I have not seen it. It is. Just, just be prepared. I mean, the, it, it's got it's got its charm. Let's just say, <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Le Fay, Dormammu, the Ancient One, Wong, Doctor Strange, all the characters are there. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Nothing offensive is ever going to happen in this movie from the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week on the Dead TV podcast as we cover Doctor Strange, and then come back in, a, in two weeks for the new season of Reaper. Yeah. Good night. Good night.